The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. It is Falcons Day. We are now technically halfway through the NFC South week of our division preview series, and we have a lot to go over today because this team has drastically, and I mean drastically, changed over the last six months. Uh, tons to talk about, but before we get into all that, EJ, my wonderful co-host, buddy, how you doing, and what are you drinking tonight? I'm excited to talk about the Falcons, that's for sure. But we're in the second part of our doubleheader, so I'm I've moved on from coffee to <laughs> seltzer. Uh, we'll see how my oh, stomach. I'm still mainlining this, man. I'm <laughs> I'm going all night. <laughs> you probably will be. Uh, excited to talk about Atlanta. They some I would say exciting changes. They were an exciting team last year. Um, I know some Falcons fans are feeling a bit of despair with uh, certain players having moved on, but lots of good stuff to talk about. I think it's going to be a fun show. Well, we're going to kick it off with uh, the same segment that we kick off every single show during the series, and that's kind of a quick little recap of 2021, kind of reexamining what happened last year before we talk about everything that's happened since January. Overall, Not going to lie, I was kind of impressed with where the Falcons ended up, all things considered. This was a roster and a situation that a lot of people expected to be, um, let's just say, like easy top three to four pick in the draft. They ended up at seven and ten. They were third in the division. They had some really scrappy games, some really scrappy wins. Obviously, a lot of meat left on the bone there, but... um, This was a team that did not really have high expectations from a lot of people. You know, just looking at the roster from top to bottom, looking at the makeup of of the NSC, most people didn't think they were one of the, you know, top two teams in their division, didn't think they had any hope of making the playoffs. And at least in the middle of the season, they they were right there. Like, they were in contention for a wild card spot. And in fact... For a while there, they actually had uh, the the seventh seed, and then you know things kind of fell apart for them in the end. They ended on a a two and three uh, five game stretch at the end, which made them end up at seven and ten for the year. But overall, I thought they kind of overperformed expectations. Um, The one thing they really need to clean up: home record was two and six. They were terrible at home. Better on the road, they were five and four on the road. So not. Not common to see that, you know, where a, a middling team is is road warriors rather than people who hold it down at home. If they can just 
and this is a tall order, I know, considering the division they're in, if they can just add a couple more home wins and at least be average at home, you know, even if they can just go 500 at home, legitimate shot this team makes the playoffs. It's a long shot, but legitimate shot. It's a weird thing to say for a team like Atlanta that's got great stadium, uh, rabid fans, you know, a lot of support, um, been in the same place for a long time, a lot of long time loyalty for the Falcons and two and two and six <laughs> doesn't seem like much of a home field advantage uh, in terms of concerning things. Yeah. Two and three at the end of the year. Sounds okay. Sounds like they basically kind of went 500 in their last five games, but they lost their last two. So they had a three game winning streak going into the last two games of the year. Again, right on that borderline, they were still sort of in contention. Didn't look great, but, if they'd won out, right? If they'd won five straight games to close out the year, again, tall order would have been great, but uh, kind of fell off at the end there, lost the last two, slipped into third place in the division. So I'm with you. If they can reclaim or forge a little bit of that home advantage, uh, come out 500, maybe better at home, that's going to put them where they want to be in, you know, the sort of second year of Arthur Smith's tenure. Well, what they have going for them is, you know, speaking of Arthur Smith, I, I think they actually have a, a pretty good power structure at the top. Obviously, Arthur Blank is known as, you know, one of the better owners in the league in terms of, you know, providing resources for his team, but also backing away and letting the football people do their thing. Um, that is an underrated quality in an owner, to be honest. <laughs> uh, teams should be thankful anytime they have uh, an owner like that. Um, but Terry Fontenot in year two at GM, Arthur Smith in year two at head coach, they were kind of a package deal when they came in together after the old regime. Um, and they, again, I think they overperformed in year one considering expectations. So I think the, the arrow is pointing up for them. Um, the staff under Arthur Smith, I think is low key, pretty good. Dave Ragone, uh, in year two at offensive coordinator, uh, former Louisville quarterback for people who remember him back in the day, a couple decades ago. Uh, as a third-round pick, if I remember correctly, from the Texans. I think he was uh, one of the Texans' first picks in the first couple years in the Andre Johnson draft, but people can correct me in the comments if I'm wrong. Uh, Dean Pease, the ageless Dean Pease, been around forever, one of the most experienced defensive coaches in the league and a fantastic defensive coordinator. Um, again, one of these guys who kind of made chicken salad out of chicken shit last year, made it work at times. Um, could have been better, but I think you, you give him better talent to work with and you're going to have a pretty damn good defense. Um, and then at special teams, you got uh, Marquise Williams also in year two. Uh, I, I really do like this staff. I have zero complaints about any of their coordinators, any of their front office personnel, head coach. I think I, I really do think the arrow is pointing up here. I want to see Ragone keep growing as the offensive coordinator. Again, a lot of people basically said that was de facto Smith's role as he came in. That's largely why he was hired after his success with the Titans. But I think he let Ragone have a little more of the reins than maybe people thought. I want to see him keep growing. They had some fun stuff last year. They had some flashes. I want to start to see that consistency and the ability to finish. Um, again, we don't get to see really behind the curtain as to how much is Ragone's and how much is Smith's. That's all these always going to be a collaboration but we don't get to see where the bias really lands dean pease like you said ageless uh you know former titans ravens and patriots defensive coordinator 
been around the block, not his first rodeo by any stretch, and can make good things happen. Uh, and they gave him a few more weapons this year, which will be fun to see how he uses those. Um, I, you know, I think it's a solid staff. Uh, I'm not singing the praises of Ragone, but I'm also not throwing him under the bus. It's I want to see more. He, you know, they put together a good offensive performance last year. It wasn't good enough to to get him into the playoffs, but that's kind of what I want to see this year. Speaking of former Texans quarterbacks, by the way, uh, in their notable coaches category, uh, one of my favorite Texans of all time is over there on that staff. Yeah, a bunch of former players on their staff. On the offensive side, we've got Justin Peel. A lot of of folks will remember him as a longtime tight end in the league. He's a former Charger, Dolphin, Falcon, and Niner tight end. Uh, Is coaching tight ends for the Falcons as well. And then your guy, TJ Yates, former Texan, Falcon, Dolphin, Bill, Texan again. Uh, Went around the league as a quarterback. The Bengal killer. (laughs) Had some notable starts. I'll just say that. Uh, You know, depends on what side of the fence you're on as to how notable they were or whether that was notable good or notable bad. But he's actually coaching wide receivers for them, which is it's always fascinating to me when people move around on the offensive side with one perspective and bring that to another position. He's doing that as a former quarterback, now coaching wide receivers. Uh, And then a name that not a lot of people are going to recognize, but in digging around, I thought, well, this is an interesting fella. Nick Edwards is an offensive assistant for the Falcons, but he was Cooper Cup and Kendrick Bourne's wide receiver coach in college at Eastern Washington University. Got two guys drafted out of Eastern Washington. Okay. Makes, and they're both pretty good, too. Yep, makes the <laughs> list right there. Um, as a player, he spent time with the Vikes, the Cards, and the Hawks. Um, basically, cups of coffee, not significant impact in, in any particular place. Uh, but, but he made the list on the offensive side. On the defensive side, Frank Bush. If there is a definition of lifer, it's Frank Bush. 31 NFL coaching seasons. He is the linebackers coach for the Falcons. Interestingly, he was on the NFL All-Rookie Team in 1986 as an Oiler. He had an injury in his second year, uh, basically sort of ran him out of the league, couldn't keep playing, got into coaching pretty quickly, and has been at the NFL level almost ever since. Um, Always love seeing that kind of tenure on a staff. Uh, Ted Monashino, outside linebacker coach, uh, former Ravens and Bears Outside linebacker coach can definitely bring the heat. knows how to knows how to deal with folks that can blitz. Worked with Terrell Suggs, worked with Khalil Mack, you name it. Ted Monacino's been around him. And then John Hoke is the secondary coach, just secondary in general. They don't specify safeties or corners. And uh, during his stint with the Bears, Peanut Tillman and Tim Jennings earned four Pro Bowl nods. Uh, and not Peanut not Tim- enough, by the way. They they deserve more. Yeah, Peanut Tillman had an All-Pro, first-team All-Pro during that time, and Jennings had a second-team All-Pro nod as well. So John Hoke knows what he's doing, getting people in the right place in the secondary. So all interesting coaches on the offensive and defensive side that you may recognize from their former stops or their time as a player, anything else. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash match. Just go to indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, now, free agency losses before we get to additions. These are all the players that uh, exited through a variety of different means. Either they were cut or the contract ran out, trades, anything of that nature. Uh, they did lose quite a lot. I mean, the chart is gigantic. Um, some more important than others. You know, you got Stephen Means who, you know, he played like 60% of the snaps, but he was really not a great pass rusher for them. He's more of a run defender. So they, they're not, they're not losing a whole lot, even though he played a lot of snaps for them. That might be a little bit of addition by subtraction type situation. Um, Russell Gage, no, no bones about it. That was a loss. He was a very, very underrated receiver for them. Uh, he's now in Tampa. Matt Ryan is the biggie. Um, he's now in Indy, got a third round pick out of it. And I, I, I feel for Falcons fans because it wasn't that long ago when, you know, you had Ryan and you had Julio and you were in the Super Bowl and everything was great. And that feeling was going to last forever. And it kind of feel like it all ended rather unceremoniously over the last two off seasons. And I understand how traumatizing that can be believe me I root for a team that provides me trauma all the time um but I I do think that Falcons fans can take solace in the fact that if Matt Ryan was going to end up anywhere it's on a Super Bowl contender so he still might get a chance to win a ring that I think he so richly deserves uh Dante Fowler also a big loss for them he's now in Dallas um you know was second on the team in pressures for them pretty much their only effective edge rusher at at any rate, uh, last year, and he's now gone. Um, Foye Luakun, tackle machine, had like 130 tackles last year combined. Uh, he's now in Jacksonville. We talked about him last week. Uh, Deron Harmon, <laughs> let's keep on coming. He's now in Vegas. Uh, was a very consistent safety for a long time in this league. He's played a while, played like 90% of the snaps for them last year. Mike Davis, um, you know, maybe maybe never ended up what I thought he was going to be coming out of South Carolina, but still has carved out a pretty nice career for him. He was there last year. Now he's over in Baltimore. Uh, Fabian Moreau is now with the Texans. Uh, he played 88.6% of the snaps last year. So that's, that's quite a loss in terms of, of snaps. That's no longer on the field for them. They're gonna have to find a way to repl- find a way to replace that. Um, just a lot of, a lot of turnover. A lot of turnover. Some worse than others, but at least, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven starters gone now. Like, that's that's tough to deal with for any team. A lot of turnover. It it. I don't want to say it starts and ends with Matt Ryan. It certainly starts with Matt Ryan. But losses on offense, you talked about most of them. Hayden Hurst has got to be on there. He didn't play as many snaps as he has in the past, but he was a big signing for them when he came over. Kyle Pitts has kind of erased that role, made him expendable. And, you know, he moves on to the Bengals with their tight end moving on. So we start the tight end musical chairs. But Russell Gage was uh, 
a receiver who I thought was underrated. Uh, Tampa didn't think so. They signed him for $10 million, which, again, for a supporting receiver on an already good receiving cast, that's that's belief. That's saying, nope, we, we think you can add something here. We think you've got plenty of juice. Come on over. Um, and on defense, you know, I think guys like Lokun, like, he played too well. They knew he was coming up for a contract, and with, with as well as he's played really for the last two years, they were like, mm, we're not going to be able to re-sign him. He's going to sign a mega deal. He did. He ends up going to Jacksonville. Um, but contributors, guys like Mike Davis, who's kind of the um, ultimate modern mercenary running back. He goes somewhere else almost every year, but he's on a team every year as the second or third running back. Uh, you know, Deron Harmon been with a couple of franchises was really surprised that he played over 90 percent of the snaps for them last year but that, again you start looking at him and moreau in the secondary you're like okay that's it's 50 percent of your secondary you got to replace the majority of the snaps so falcons have a lot of work to do but i think some of that was choice under terry fontenot about where we're going to put our money both now and in the future they've got those things coming up and how we're going to reshape this team. And there were some calculated choices in there. Players, I'm, I think they probably would have liked to keep Hayden Hurst, but they were like, no, nah, we can't pay him. So we're going to let him move on. We're going to try and replace him. Harmon, just a, a quick note on him. I, I've always found his career fascinating because I remember when he was coming out, he was like a third-round pick uh, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was out of Rutgers because, of course, he was. You know, it's because, of Rutgers. course, he was. And I, I distinctly remember when he got picked, everybody was like, who? What? Why? And, you know, it was classic, oh, God, Patriots don't know what they're doing. He's the he's the colonel of the joke I make every year during our draft cast. Third-round safety that? from Rutgers. You know, the Patriots <laughs> oh. are going to come up, and it's third-round yeah. safety from Rutgers, and everybody's going to say, who? It's Deron Harmon. He's the reason for that joke. High inside fastball. Can't hit it, can't lay off it. But I will say, credit <laughs> to the Patriots. He's played 10 years. He's a safety, you know, who's 32. Like, that's a hard mark to reach. So, in the end, I think the Patriots were right. Oh, and 100%. we all look stupid. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe they know a little bit more than us about Rutgers safety in the third round. Yeah, he was a priority free agent when he came up in the last free agency round. Like, he he made good money. I mean, there's people lining up saying, no, he's one of the top three or four players at the position that's a heck of a thing if you're talking about league-wide so yeah, <laughs> yeah no they definitely know more about it than we do uh in terms of players that they did not let go and they actually re-signed uh Zacchaeus was a big one you know two and a half million for for Zacchaeus I was like yeah sure fine oh, is yeah. your number three go ahead in this wide receiver market that's amazing value um young way Koo who, despite some early career struggles, has turned into one of the best kickers in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you could argue was one of the Falcons' best players last year at any position. Like He's he's pretty damn good, so they, they brought him back. Love to see that. Uh, Cordero Patterson. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Future Hall of Famer Cordero Patterson. Ding, ding, ding. Wide receiver slash running back slash wildcat quarterback slash punt returner slash kick returner slash gunner. Uh, special teams extraordinaire, all-decade team, multiple all-pro, multiple Super Bowl winner, future Hall of Famer, Cordero Patterson. You've been <sighs> practicing. <laughs> I, I will I will champion that until the day I die. Having seen him up close, uh, training camp 2019 for the Bears, uh you know, he he already sort of had established a lot of that pedigree before that, 
but when you see all of it and you see how freaking big he is yeah, like you're standing at the road 35 yeah. and he walks by <laughs> six four two thirty five and squarely built like solidly built and then you see him rip by two guys that are trying to hold him up as a gunner and go down and destroy somebody you're like and he's still doing it. like this is not a spring chicken this is not a guy that's uh, you know a rookie or anywhere close still plays with that passion Great player off the field as well in terms of great sense of humor, super engaging. Uh, we'll always root for Cordell Patterson. Was, even though he was only with the Bears for a short time, quickly became a fan favorite, was a favorite of ours on Bears Over Beers. And, you know, we kind of knew he had to move on, but we still fought it a little bit because he's he's a lot of fun to watch. And the Falcons, quite frankly, have unlocked a whole nother side of that that like belichick was tinkering with like arthur arthur smith took that program and just like turned it up to 11 what he did last year for the falcons was amazing it was incredible he was he was a beast at multiple positions for them and i won't belabor the point but i'm just saying if you can find me another seven-time all pro full-time pro bowl four-time pro bowler uh, all-decade team member, one kickoff return touchdown away from setting the record, and, oh, by the way, Super Bowl champion. If you could find me with somebody with that resume who's not a Hall of Famer, uh, I defy you, sir. That is absolutely a Hall of Famer, and I will I will never let this go. Every single year when he comes up, I will not let this go. Um, but beyond <clears throat> the greatest special teamer ever to play, uh, Cora Patterson, ooh, Jake ooh, Matthews. Ooh. I Careful! Just, I just said it to piss you off. Just to I piss know. You off. I'm like, mm, I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, the guy who has the 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 shrine to Devin Hester in his closet over there. Yeah, I don't. I should. I should, but I don't. Uh, they also brought back Jake Matthews. Uh, you know, solid left tackle for them. Uh, can't believe he's already 30. My God, uh, I feel old. Uh, Grady Jarrett. You know, also perennial, all underrated team. Uh, brought him back for $16.5 million a year, which for a guy like Grady Jarrett, who year in, year out, is right at the top of the pressure list for interior rushers, fine. Great value, especially what the market is these days. Phenomenal value for that. Um, and then uh, other additions in terms of third-party teams that they brought in. I- I'm, I'm kind of splitting it up because we're going to do the first part and then the second part. You got Marcus Mariota, who is, quote-unquote, the starting quarterback. We'll see mm-hmm. how long that lasts. Uh, Casey Hayward, the the traveling veteran at this point, kind of solidifying the other corner spot. Brian Edwards, the fourth-quarter magician uh, from the Raiders, who somehow always <laughs> you know gets massive yardage in the last 10 minutes of the game. And Lorenzo Carter from the Giants, uh, they brought in to be a rotational edge for them. So considering the this particular group before we get to the other one of guys they re-signed guys they added do you feel like they did enough to uh to balance out all of the names that we listed off before that they lost Mm. enough is a really good question i think that's where it gets to be an interesting discussion mariota kind of the perfect fit as soon as it was clear that ryan was moving on there wasn't somebody better to replace him in atlanta than marcus mariota not because a straight talent match but because of player makeup and likely role 
it was very likely that Atlanta was going to draft a quarterback and they were going to need somebody that could play well in the starters role, but when the time came, could also step back, help mentor that player, help them understand what a dual threat quarterback can do uh, in the NFL. And nobody matching that description better than Marcus Mariota was available. So he was a key get for them. Casey Hayward, I feel like, is the ultimate sort of mercenary corner, right? Goes to a different team just about every year, puts up great stats just about every year, and then inexplicably is still available the next year to move on and do it again with another team. And he sort of ends up in another place, and you're like, of course Casey Hayward moved teams. He always (laughs) moves teams. And he's going to start, and he's going to play well, and we'll do this whole dance again next year. Um, (laughs) Brian Edwards... A low-key good get. I think Brian Edwards has more than he showed with the Raiders uh, in terms of potential and I think is a good fit with what the Falcons are trying to assemble. So I like all those ads. Lorenzo Carter's really interesting. You said rotational edge right now on their depth chart. And again, it's off-season slash not even close to preseason depth charts. They have him starting which I'm not so sure will last or maybe even be the best option given what he did uh, according according to their, again, very temporary depth of the offseason depth chart. Um, So interesting. Hmm. And they paid him 3.5. So I... If they thought he was going to be a starting edge and they paid him 3.5, either it's the best value in the history of the NFL or maybe they think he's kind of going to be rotational. I'm not sure. We'll see how that all shakes out. But in terms of that group solid is it enough to offset all the losses just by themselves if you add in the folks they retained their own talent um you know they made some they made some i would say strategic choices right they looked at russell gage and went he's probably going to make a lot of money we like russell but we're not willing to pay him as much as somebody else is but Zacchaeus could give us a bunch of his production and we need to pay him 2.4 million instead of 10 million. That is a strategic choice by a guy like Terry Fontenot to say, this is how I'm going to build my roster. I can get almost a Russell Gage out of Zacchaeus, but I'm going to pay him one quarter as much. Okay, I'm going to do that. Um, Grady Jarrett, they just opened the book because you can't get another Grady Jarrett. Like Grady Jarrett's are extremely hard to find. And they went, he's great. He fits in our system. He's consistently productive what kind of money do you want Grady? And he said, I'll take this. And they went, sweet. Here's your check. (laughs) Like, we're not letting you out of the building. And I I don't fault them for that because you cannot go out and just get another Grady Jarrett. It's there's four of them in the league, maybe five at most at most. Right. I would say he's probably right up there. Third, fourth. We've, we've talked about all this. Aaron Donald, clearly number one guys like Kenny Clark and Grady Jarrett are right there in that second you can't just go out and pick them off trees they don't yeah. they don't grow like that um cordero patterson any other team i might say ah well, you know you did a thing five and a quarter million for everything he did for them last year raging value so when you look at the folks they retained the folks they added from other teams does it offset the losses i think it does and then you add you sprinkle in the draft picks and udfas and I like what Terry Fontenot is doing here. Now, the the second component to this, the other the other guys they brought in, uh, I I would say from third party teams, but it's really one team. Um, <laughs> explain the Falcons somehow transforming into Bear South because this snuck up on me. It's odd. I am aware <laughs> of it because I'm a Bears fan. 
and the former GM, Ryan Pace, uh, who was deposed out of Chicago this offseason, ended up in Atlanta, which is kind of doubly odd because the guy he deposed in Chicago, Phil Emery, is also a scout for Atlanta. So they have the two former Bears GMs in that part Atlanta. I didn't know. Huh. Yep. You know, Emery's been there a while. Ryan Pace just got there. Uh, and then you start looking at the coaches. Dave Ragone moved a year before Pace did. Uh, he's a former Bears coach. Uh, Charles London is a former Bears coach. John Hoke is a former Bears coach. Ted Monachino is a former Bears coach. Uh, there's like 13 or 15 former Bears players, coaches, and staff members that work for the Falcons now. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say, based on the Bears' success or lack thereof over the last 8 to 10 years, that that's a winning strategy to try and recreate you know, Bears South in Atlanta, but they're definitely doing it. And in the free agency class, we're talking about five guys that they pulled out of Chicago. Uh, Jermaine Effetti. Damian Williams, the running back, Elijah Wilkinson, the right tackle, Demir Bird, who had a cup of coffee with the Bears after playing for the Patriots, uh, and T. Saber, who kind of had the same thing at corner. They're not the only ones. Um, there are players that came over from the Bears last year. James Vauders, who's one of the losses uh, for the Falcons, was a Falcon last year. It's just, it's really odd that there's such a tight link between these two teams both with staff members and then, you know, naturally I think that leads to familiarity with former players, but to the extent I can't remember that many players, coaches, executives coming over from one team to another in like a three year period. It's, it's, it's notable. And also remember Dick Kwiatkowski, who they just signed from the Raiders was former bear under that regime mm -hmm. drafted by like, it's a thing. Like, they have absolutely, <laughs> like, it, we talked about in the last episode, you know, relationship-based relationship, uh, relationship roster-building with Matt Rule. Um, Falcons are doing the same shit. It's basically, if you ever set foot in the city of Chicago, you have a pretty good chance of playing for the Falcons at this point. So, it's just, it's not necessarily, like, a, uh, a defining characteristic of the team, but it is notable and odd that if you're going to model yourself after one franchise, they're doing it after the 2020 Chicago bears. <laughs> it's maybe not Get the excited, make, but sell the sizzle. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, and we uh, would be remiss if we didn't mention Quadri Olison, not because he was the player we hoped he would be. Uh, we really thought he was going to have a much larger role uh, under Arthur Smith in, in Atlanta um, only played like, less than 7% of the snaps and they sign him for a flat million dollars. Doesn't even guarantee he'll make the team, but he was retained and we did talk about him a lot last year. So, ooh, Quadriolison. Preseason demigod Quadriolison. <laughs> yes. The, the fantasy football player in me will never, never forgive, never forget. But I, but I will take that bait every single year. Guarantee it. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Um, let's get to the draft, by the way. Terry Fontenot has done pretty good work. Um, this was one of the classes where it was both predictable and unpredictable in the same time. Where predictable in the sense of like, okay, they, they hit the needs that we knew they were going to hit. Unpredictable in the sense that they got some incredible values that I I just didn't expect we're going to be there. And it's almost like a, you know, every other pick was like a run in the card type situation where it's like, well, this isn't supposed to happen, but we're going to capitalize on it. Especially with a couple of the early picks in the first few rounds. I mean, Drake London at pick eight, that was about as chalk a pick as you can get. I put that in my mock draft even because I was like, yeah, that makes sense all the way. Drake London, Falcon, you know, matching him up with Kyle Pitts, giving two massive targets that most secondaries don't have enough big bodies to deal with at the same time. Loved that selection uh, for them. Arnold, Arnold Epikidi was the one that I didn't expect because I, I thought he was going to be long gone by then. Um, his athletic profile as an edge rusher, when you look at natural leverage because he's a shorter guy, but he also has length. He has a ridiculous first step. He's got power. He's got production bend like a sub seven three cone you know he has almost the exact same profile of of justin houston and and usually guys with his athletic plus production profile don't fail it's like one of the safest profiles you can have as an edge prospect so getting him at pick 38 was insane uh troy anderson divisive linebacker prospect i would say um you either loved him or you really didn't love him i i get the the rawness argument, but he is a special athlete, so I'm just kind of trusting Dean Pease to figure it out. Uh, Desmond Ritter, who had a lot of fans, uh, a lot of people saw him as actually QB1 in this class. He ended up going at pick 74. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him starting multiple games this year, to be perfectly honest, and probably playing pretty well. He was one of the more pro-ready quarterbacks in this class, in my opinion. Um, D'Angelo Malone, Yet another edge player that I think could end up being an early starter as a rookie, even over Lorenzo Carter. He he and Lorenzo Carter, I, are when I say rotational for Lorenzo Carter, I think he's going to be rotating with Malone. The question is, who's going to be the starter? Is it going to be Carter or is it going to be Malone? They'll figure that out as they go. Hmm. Uh, Tyler Algier, EJ, if I recall correctly, he was one of your favorite kind of late round running back prospects out of BYU. Um, I saw him as just a straight up hammer in between the tackles. You know, you need somebody that can come in and, you know, be efficient in short yardage, get you goal line touchdowns, not a whole lot of bursts, not a whole lot of wiggle, but he does have great vision and he runs super tough. Um, Justin Schaefer, the guard out of Georgia and John Fitzpatrick, the tight end out of Georgia rounded out, uh, the rest of their draft. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um, one of the the most solid classes from top to bottom in, in this entire league, in my opinion. What say you? Drake London was chalk at the top. I think he's what they needed. They found him. I'm excited to see how they roll him in, how much they give him. I feel like he's got a lot of room to grow. He's already an athletically very special player and does many things well, but I think can do many more things well. Um, Ibikati, one of my favorites, was in 10 gyms, uh, had all kinds of both physical measurements and statistical measurements that put him well atop this edge class. And 
uh, you know, was he the top edge? No. Was he much higher than most people gave him credit for? Yeah. He's like my third edge in this class, I think. Um, and I am a hundred percent okay with that. Like, I believe if you're going to bet on something at edge, Abe Katie has a great many things that you bet on. So I see him starting really quickly and hopefully blossoming under Dean Pease. It's a good spot. Um, certainly has an easy path to playing time and good coaching. We like both of those things when folks land there. Troy Anderson wasn't a huge fan, just felt early to me. Um, second round pick 58. I, I felt like, you know, there were other folks that play his role in this draft that I would have picked in that spot before him. Yes, great athlete. Yes, converted quarterback. Still figuring out a lot of things at linebacker that didn't feel like pick 58 to me. To them, it did. We'll see how it works. Uh, Desmond Ritter is, yeah, it's the other side of the coin, right? How soon does he play? I don't think they see Marcus Mariota as the take us to the promised land quarterback. He is the guy that they can win with now. And I think it's not going to be a short leash for Marcus Mariota, but it's not going to be a super long one either, right? If he comes in and the team's clicking and they're winning games, He'll probably stay. That's a better situation for him, better situation for Ritter. If they go two and four in their first six games, the pressure is going to crank up because of all the things you mentioned. Desmond Ritter uh, can win with his legs, which any coach is happy with for a young quarterback when things break down. Uh, a lot of people felt like he was, like you said, one of the most pro-ready quarterbacks. I was sort of on the fence about that, but I he is a very mature quarterback both on and off the field and I think that will lend itself to him learning those lessons quickly that being said he's still a rookie quarterback probably not going to play right out of the gate unless they are comfortable with having a rookie quarterback season and even the good ones aren't great so (laughs) they're gonna start with Mariota if he's the hot hand I could see them sticking with him but they're everybody's gonna be looking over their shoulder for when Desmond Ritter comes in because I agree with you he will start probably multiple games this year and it won't necessarily be because of injury so that's that's the name to watch now and in the future do they really have something there do they need to go back to the well uh because they've had so much stability at that position it's gonna be a point of focus d'angelo malone got sold a little bit short in this draft i think he's a really productive edge rusher at western kentucky his measurables aren't great which is why he was available you know middle of third round instead of higher up given his production because the NFL bets on athletic profile at edge, especially, and his was great. Um, his production kind of said the other thing, but that's why he was still available. Algier, interesting little bowling ball. Uh, I thought he was a <laughs> shoe in to be a, a Seahawks running back. I thought Pete Carroll would have loved him. Um, one cut and go, but he will run you over uh, more often than not. He is a guy that seeks contact and is good at breaking tackles. Just a, power pack of a runner so we'll see how they fit him into their rotation Schaefer mauling guard out of Georgia and Fitzpatrick again uh, bolstering that run production run set as a blocking tight end um, I thought a good draft with some real highlights A.B. Katie London Ritter um, all really good and Schaefer feels to me like one of those guys that six or eight years from now you're going to be like oh Justin Schaefer yeah still starting like huh who knew he was a six rounder <laughs> Like I think they got at least five starters here. I really do. On this team, it's very possible. I would yeah. say four without question. 
Uh, the balance of the edge thing is really interesting. I think Gabe Acadie is a shoe-in starter just because of where they picked him, his talent level, and the fact that they have a dearth of edge rushers. We're actually talking about Carter. There's nobody there. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about Carter as as the guy to start across from. I actually don't think that's going to be the case. Throughout training camp in the preseason, I wouldn't be at all surprised if a name we talked about a lot last year ends up being the starter at that position. And uh, Odette Kumbo out of Notre Dame. Oh, yeah, Ogadenji. Yep. Yeah, I he forgot is, he was there. Yeah, he's currently listed behind Abe Katie in the depth chart. But again, these depth charts really kind of aren't worth the paper they're printed on at this particular juncture of the offseason. I think he's got the potential. He showed enough flashes. I think he could end up outplaying a more high-profile guy like Lorenzo Carter. Now, Lorenzo Carter, I think, has a few more physical gifts. Um, D'Angelo Malone, I think, is going to be one of those guys that comes in in rotation and takes a little while to adapt to the speed, needs to develop a counter move. Uh, you know, Adetokounmpo's got all that stuff out of the way, right? Yeah. So I think he could slot in at the other edge um, with Abe Katie, who's nicknamed AK, that to me is probably the most exciting tandem that they could throw on the field. And again, if you can bring Lorenzo Carter and D'Angelo Malone on in waves after that to keep them fresh and have those guys get 25 rushes a game, 20, 25 rushes a game to keep people fresh, that to me would be awesome. Um, we'll see, but I, I think he's kind of the dark horse in this whole edge race for the Falcons. I loved him coming out, thought he was underrated. They picked him up as a value in the draft, lower down. Um, and he showed some of the characteristics that I really liked in his first season. So, you know, my, my money would be on him as the sort of, you know, leader in the clubhouse more so than what the depth chart says, but we'll see how it all shakes out in training camp. I've been willing to bet that, they're typical like when they go into their four down stuff it's going to be marlon davidson at like a base end and then uh take one graham and grady inside at nose and three tech and then probably ak as like the weak side edge and mm -hmm. then you're throwing two linebackers behind that so whether it's Dion anderson evans walker whoever Kwiatkowski, whatever they could figure that out later. Throw in your best two linebackers that you that you believe in back there, mm -hmm. and then you're rolling with you know a, a secondary of Terrell Hawkins, probably Harris, obviously Hayward, and then Oliver's probably your nickel. Um, that's probably what their, their most common grouping will look like is Marlon Davidson technically, and AK at edge, and then you got Graham and Jarrett on the inside. And to be honest. As far as defensive lines go, sure, I'm good with that. It's at least average, which for for Falcons fans, they would take average at this point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's it'll you know, I think there's enough there that DNPs can make that work pretty well. And right now in the modern NFL, that's what you need to do with your defense. You need to make it work pretty well. Your defense is probably not going to win you a lot of games. Are they going to give you extra possessions and give it back to your offense? Great. But if your offense is sputtering, we're not really in the day and age where your defense is going to keep up with an opposing offense in terms of scoring or anything else. You need to slow people down and do it effectively. And it feels like they're between the coaching and the roster they've assembled through all the means we've talked about. There's enough there to do that. Are they going to do much more than that? Mm, I probably wouldn't lay money on that. But can they do that? Yeah, and it's going to be on the offense to come up 
with multiple ways to get folks involved and score points uh, could be a challenge. A lot of new moving parts to kind of gel together, and the quarterback situation is going to dominate that conversation. But it feels like there's kind of enough there to make it work. We'll see if they do make it work really on both sides of the ball. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Now, looking at their undrafted free agents, quite a few worth talking about. Why don't you take us through that? Yeah, big list. I love big lists uh, for UDFAs. It tells me that general managers are willing to take a look for any number of reasons with very low cost or risk impacts. And that could be as much as, hey, we had this guy, you know, on campus for, you know, two, three days. We ran him through an extra physical. We got to see how he worked with the coaches. He's going to go back on the street. But if we have an injury or want to fill a spot on our practice squad, we have more knowledge about him than than other folks that are available. So I love the strategy. Um, guys, you want to highlight, uh, I'm going to bring up, uh, ooh, I forgot a couple at the top. Stanley Berryhill third guy we saw down at Shrine Bowl, um, wide receiver out of Arizona, has some special teams value as well. Smaller guy, but runs very good routes and was quietly effective for that whole week. Um, Tyshawn James is his name that was really sought after, although he played at Central Connecticut, which is not a big school, but Tyshawn James had a crazy highlight tape. Go check it out. Another option for them in rebuilding this wide receiver core. If you're going to let a guy like Gage go and keep Zacchaeus, yeah, you drafted London and you really hope that hits, but you still need folks to fill in that depth chart behind him. Uh, Tyler Vrabel. Yes, that Vrabel. He is Mike Vrabel's kid. <laughs> Offensive tackle for Boston College. We'll see if he sticks. Derek Tangelo. And in our last episode, we talked about Marquan McCall. Now we get to talk about Derek Tangelo, who came is a defensive tackle from Penn State. We got to interview him, but he had spent four years with Marquan McCall at Kentucky before he went to Penn State. So he ends up as, you know, what a perfect spot. Like you go hang out and watch Grady Jarrett do it every day. Have Dean Pease tell you what you're doing <laughs> wrong. Like if, if Derek Tangelo yeah. yeah, if Derek Tangelo is going to hit, that's the spot for him. Great guy. Um, one of my real dark horses, and it was from the year before. It's not from his stats from last year in college. And that's Kony Deng, the linebacker from Cal. He is like D'Angelo Malone or my Jay Sanders or Amari Barno. He is 6'6", 240, played outside linebacker for the Golden Bears, showed a lot of potential the year before uh, in basically the COVID year, 2020. Then basically got hurt in 2021, played very few snaps, kind of dropped off everybody's radar. I forgot he was even eligible until uh, I was running through rosters with... Well, um, he played six years in college. He damn well better be eligible. <laughs> right, but I'd just forgotten, again, because he had a very quiet year production-wise, and I was super hyped for him in 2020. He didn't come out, and then he basically kind of disappeared 
late in the draft process, I was going through rosters with my buddy Mark Jarvis, uh, who does that for a living. And I was like, is this right? Oh, because he liked Kwani Dang too. He's one of the guys I talked to in 2020 about him. And I was like, he's eligible. He's like, yeah, he didn't really do anything, but he's there. Sure enough, they pick him up again for free. Another linebacker. We talked about their linebacking situation, kind of putting the two best linebackers together. Hey, take some shots. Nate Landman, tackle machine out of Colorado. Um, not the most physically gifted, but incredibly productive. Basically cleaned up everything for the Buffaloes in a very wide arc. So they bring him in as well. And then Brad Hawkins, I was stunned, wasn't drafted. The safety out of Michigan. Really thought he was one of those solid sort of fourth, fifth, sixth round safeties that, of course, he was going to get drafted. Didn't. Don't know why. We don't always get to find these things out. But again, having lost a guy like Deron Harmon, you get to bring in Brad Hawkins for free and give him a shot. Why not? So great job on the undrafted free agents. That's not all of them. Those are just the ones we want to highlight, but a bigger class than that. And uh, we'll see if any of those players end up making any kind of impact because bottom line, if those guys make the practice squad, it's a win. You got them for free. If you want some entertainment, look up uh, Coin Dang, uh, Coin Dang's VMI and uh, ICC highlights. <laughs> His VMI highlights are ridiculous. Ridiculous. They're from like five years ago, but he started at Virginia Military Institute. And you can see what it looks like when like an all-conference caliber D1 or D1 all-conference caliber player uh, is playing against a VMI schedule. It's hilarious. Yeah. Go tear, it's up, go tear up the Citadel. And you, and, you know, you might be like, what number is he? Doesn't you'll matter. You'll figure it out. He's 6'6", 240. If his arms go up like this and it takes up like two thirds of the screen, that's him. Yeah, so it's it's a fun group, fun group of UDFAs. Um, now, final segment, team floor, team ceiling. We do this every single week for every single team. This is one where I swear to God, the range is just massive. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a 10-win ceiling, 5-win floor, mm-hmm. and anything in between would make sense. Because as we've kind of alluded to, like, hey, Marcus Mariota, he stays healthy, has a little bit of resurgence. I mean, there's there's a talented backfield there. You got Coral Patterson, you got Williams, you got Algier, and not to mention Mariota can run. If even if Desmond Ritter's starting, Ritter can run. I think you can do a lot of creative things in the run game. You have damn near unguard, unguardable Kyle Pitts. You have a really exciting rookie receiver in Drake London. You have Brian Edwards, who I think is a solid number two slash number three. You got Zacchaeus, again, solid number two, number three. Demir Bird is your take the top off guy the offensive line eh, but <laughs> it's it's not the worst in the league it's just no. average to below average on defense again the defensive line at least average which is better than they're used to and the secondary has some legitimate like stud talents with aj terrell there casey hayward even at his age still really good like, this team could win 10 games. I could absolutely, especially in the NFC, which is weaker than the AFC. I could see that. I could also see them completely falling apart and winning five. And I really don't know. Like, if I have to bet on this team, I I don't know what to do. Because the range is so great. Like, they are impossible to predict. They're probably going to be one of the teams that I stay furthest away from in terms of betting season-long over-unders because... You can sell me on anything here, and I would believe it. Yeah, we've had multiples of these where the the slice felt really small. It was like seven wins or five wins. That that feels super narrow. 
this was not that team. This was, I was one team below you on wins. By the way, we don't talk about these beforehand um, mm-hmm. before we read them off. We just kind of reveal these blinds. So it's not like we're sitting around confabbing, you know, what do you think? What do you think? Like we just write them down and then we read them off. So uh, I had nine wins as my ceiling. And that feels like the Marcus Mariota starts and is clicking. They continue to be creative with their assets on offense. They've added some. The offensive line doesn't really suffer any injuries, has enough stability to hold up and make it enough to get by. And the defense kind of does the same thing. The defense is middle of the pack, 15th, 16th, 18th, keeps the scoring down enough that the offense that's clicking with those pieces that you mentioned, you know, wins a few close games. They rip off a couple extra ones at home. And, you know, not quite, I'm not quite saying double digit wins that feels like maybe a bridge too far given how many things have to go right but i could totally see it like i could absolutely see nine i could see ten i said nine uh my floor is the same as yours and that's you know marcus Mariota starts maybe gets hurt knocked out early end up starting a rookie in game four five six and you know desmond ritter does his best but they lose more close games than they win and i don't think they win less than five again with the assemblage of talent they have but if the wheels come off a little bit early and they sort of end up committing to desmond ritter you know early it's probably better in the long run but for this year's team that probably means five or six wins because it's going to be tougher to do things like come from behind in the last three minutes or overcome a hot start by the other team's quarterback or, you know, make up for one long miscue on defense out of that secondary, you know, all those things get tougher to overcome when you don't have a veteran starting, he's going to be learning lessons, but learning lessons usually comes from experience and experience in that case usually means losing games. I just looked it up while you were talking. Um, So I, I take back what I said. I think I, I think I will bet on the Falcons because you know what their their over under is right now in terms of total season wins, five. Oh, yeah, that's really tempting. I, I think I, I might throw a hundo I, on that like tonight. I think they're better <laughs> than five. Uh, if it was six, I would kind of go okay. Anything but six or over, but that, five. That's my floor. So like worst case scenario, I'm pushing. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. My same floor for me, and I think they're better than five. I really do. And just too much experience on the staff, right? Dean Pease is not gonna have a horrendous mess on the field week one. Like they'll have things to tune up and get better at. But talk about floors, right? The floor for a Dean Pease defense is decent. Yeah, right. That's the floor. He's not gonna have an abject you know, falling off unless they have some serious injuries in camp. Like, he'll be okay. And the offense, yeah, they have to find their rhythm, but five? (laughs) Let me put it this way. Okay, so they're playing against the Seahawks with Drew Locke. They're playing against the Browns, who may or may not have a starting quarterback. It could be the Jacoby Brissett show. Um, They're playing against the Panthers twice. They're playing against the Bears. They're playing against the Commanders. They're playing against the late-season Cardinals. Very different situation Mm -hmm. than the early-season Cardinals. Um, They're playing against the Steelers, which actually could be a dogfight, but it really depends on whether or not, you know, either A, Mitch Trubisky spread his wings and became a a butterfly in Buffalo, uh, or maybe it's going to be Kenny Pickett. Who knows? But again, winnable game. Like, that's more than five right there, let alone if they start ripping off a random win from Tampa or whoever. Like, I don't know. Five seems low. I could see them splitting with the Saints. Like, 
Yeah, no, 100% they could. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're talking about the Panthers splitting with the Saints, uh, who was the first one that you mentioned? So there's the Commanders, there's the potential Jacoby Brissett-led Browns. I mean, before the got... Browns. Who was the very first one you said, earliest in the season? Seahawks. Oh, Seahawks, right. Yeah, okay, right? Like, five <laughs> sure. feels... Five feels low. Like, I'm not that down on the Seahawks, but again, not all of those breaks are going to go against them. And there's, you know, if you had only listed five what I thought were winnable games, sure, then that over-under seems on. But you didn't. You listed, like, nine games that they have, the, you know, at least right now with what we know, potential to win. That means they have to win, like, half of them. Yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, I think people seems... in general are a little bit, a little bit down on the Falcons, more down than I expected. Yeah. So at five, that seems like an easy bet. At six, uh, I'm probably holding on to my money and buying a burrito. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but with that, that brings us to the end of a Falcons episode that ended up being way more positive than I expected. Not gonna lie, uh, <laughs> I thought we were gonna end up trashing them, but in oh. the end, we're like, you know what? No, how about them Falcons? <laughs> how did we not talk about it? Talk about Have you what? seen what they're bringing back this year? No. What? The red helmets. Really? Yeah. I've seen like mock-ups. the classic from like the like the, With the gray the pants and the era? white jerseys yeah. and red helmets, the black falcon. Oh, that's the best helmet too. They're sharp. They're real sharp. So that'll anyways, make up for that's, that stupid that's a, gradient jersey. That's a win right there. Like that's plus Ooh. one win if they bring those back. Okay, I'm excited. That's like their best helmet. Yeah. Especially if they go with like the, the all blacks with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm. sign me up. Yeah. Anyways, we'll see. But uh, fun times when those helmets start running back. We're we're eventually going to see the, the Buccaneer on the edge of the Buccaneers helmet. We're going to see the Silver Seahawks helmet. We're going to see we're going to see the greatest hits for helmets. And it's going to be awesome. So tomorrow uh, we have the Saints, since we're going in reverse order in these divisions, and we wrap it up with Tampa. And then we have on Friday our total kind of division recap Friday. Uh, if you watched last week's episodes, that's kind of the general format we do. Go in ascending order up the division, recap on Friday. So tomorrow is the Saints. Hope you'll join us for that one because there's a lot of turnover there, a lot of things to discuss. And, uh, yeah, same time, same place. See you then, and uh, cheers. Take care.